Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of The Why Show, where it's my job to have a wide-ranging conversation with our guests to uncover their unconventional life paths by delving into their passions, purpose, and philosophy of life. And hopefully these discussions can inspire you and also offer you some decision-making processes, frameworks, or techniques that you can apply to your own life. In this episode, you're going to listen to some of the very interesting topics, such as Taylor's experience working at Google, how living in different cultures shaped his life, and some of the biggest mistakes he made in his career. So without further ado, Taylor Jarl. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I am really excited for today. I have some questions that I'm very interested in learning more um, about you. So before we get started, actually, I want to introduce Taylor for people listening. Taylor Jarl is an ambitious problem solver with a propensity to deliver impact and leadership in his work and his community. Taylor attended Emory's University undergraduate business program, and after graduation, worked for management consulting, Booz Allen. During his time in consulting, Taylor discovered a passion for the tech sector, and he decided to make the leap to Silicon Valley. He is now product manager at Google, working on the Google Assistant, a product with more than 500 million monthly users. Taylor also used to lead volunteer recruitment and engagement for Minds Matter San Francisco, an organization that has over 200 members and supports the education of underprivileged children. So, Taylor, I am really excited to have you today on the podcast. I want to get started with you telling a little bit more about yourself. So, who is Taylor according to you? So, who is Taylor? I moved around quite a bit uh, growing up. So, I've lived in Las Vegas. I lived in Shanghai, China. Um, I was born in Taiwan. You know, lived in Atlanta when I attended Emory, lived in Seattle, lived in the Bay Area. Um, so quite a bit of moving. So I don't necessarily have a hometown. But, uh, you know, part of that was actually really enlightening, even though I hated it as a kid, which is to kind of experience a lot of different cultures growing up was really awesome. Um, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but looking back on it, I think it was a, a great experience. You know, attended Emory and kind of always knew I wanted to pursue business, but I had no idea what I wanted to do in business. I applied to the U.S. from when I was still living in Asia. So it was like I, I had no attachment to any geographic area. Um, and I thought Atlanta would be really cool with the, the music culture. It's a great barbecue scene, right? Um, right. Yeah. So so I ended up going to Emory and uh, figuring out my life from there. I think in terms of like what I'm interested in, right? Like from a career perspective, it was always business. From a personal perspective, mentorship was always really important. You know, like I've had personally really important mentors in my life who have guided me. Um, even the smallest conversations can change the direction of your life. So that is kind of near and dear to me. And also, as you saw, it was uh, much of what I do on my personal time. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to start by exploring a little bit further something that, um, you actually said in your bio. So you mentioned that you want to have and you want to deliver impact in your work and to the community, right? So I'm curious to know what impact means to you. 
and what is the idea behind delivering to the community? Yeah, that is a really good question. Um, so I think you can think of impact in both a professional and personal capacity. And I'll start with what I think impact means professionally. To me, impact is like making a positive change at, at the largest scale that you can have. So and that, that probably spans both professional and personal. But to start with professional, I think one of the reasons I, I switched to product management was because you're working on a product that touches uh, the lives of users who use that product every day or every month or whatever. And this is something that people rely on and find value from. And the greater the scale, the greater the, the product is, the more people you're going to improve their lives ideally, right? And I think that is that is how I see impact professionally. And, and personally, from a personal perspective, I care less about scale. I'm very happy just like making a positive impact on another person in my community who may be in a greater need, right? I think there are some areas that I'm personally passionate about, like civics and education. So education has generally been where uh, I put my focus in. And there are a lot of high school students from sort of underprivileged backgrounds that just don't have the knowledge infrastructure to know what to do. Like a lot of these kids I've worked with, like don't even know when they want to start preparing for the SATs. Um, they don't think of it as a core component of their application. That's one example. Um, a lot of kids don't think about college early enough. Um, and kind of like, I think American colleges are getting more competitive than ever. And like, I think as students, you generally have to start thinking earlier and earlier about it right. to, to have a good chance, right? And um, everyone, a lot of these high school kids are so young. Like, there's no expectation that without guidance, they would think about it, right? Um, so just kind of putting in the time and effort um, to help guide them a bit, especially those who show a lot of promise coming from really low-income families that yeah. can, you know, like the first job out of college could fundamentally change how their whole family operates, right? Totally. So yeah, so those are that's kind of how I think about impact. I see. Yeah, very cool. Touching on impact, right? Since we're already talking about it, can you share more about your work at Minds Matter San Francisco? And for people to, people listening, Minds Matter is an education nonprofit that connects driven and determined students from low income families with people and resources to succeed especially into getting into college. So you've been leading volunteer recruitment and engagement, right? So can you share more about your experience so far and anything else you want to share? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I'll just caveat that I did uh, retire from Minds Matter recent, somewhat recently, but okay. um, I did spend a good amount of time there, uh, maybe two to three years. And um, and I'm, I'm still happy to really talk about it because they're such an amazing organization. Um so it is a national organization with different chapters across America. And they they focus on kids who come from low-income families. I think the students that we worked with in San Francisco, uh, the average income for the families were around twenty to 30,000 household income. Um, and living in the Bay Area, I mean, that's, that's already really tough anywhere in America. Right. But in the Bay Area, particularly yeah. where cost of living is extreme, um, is really tough for these families. Um, right. And these kids show a lot of initiative because they have to apply to be part of the Minds Matter program where um, we actually invest a lot in our in our students. Um, I believe it's up to like $10,000 per student in terms of like, um, like computers and 
resources and teaching, like all, all these things that we put together for the students, like totals that amount. Um, well, wow. that's, that's pretty significant if you like stop to think about it, right? Like, in terms of like cost of like a student to like cost that much to like be able to, you know, have the resources necessary. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that just, I mean, it goes to show that like, it's just really hard to, to have like a strong educational infrastructure, even in America, because it just costs a lot. Right. right. And so we try to do our part. We have a lot of great um, donors who, who help our program. And, you know, the, it's a very structured um, volunteer organization where like you bring in, um, you know, young to mid-level. So like people under twenties and thirties, uh, professionals who have succeeded in multiple different disciplines, like this could be musicians, artists, doctors, lawyers, tech people, right? Um, and they will come in every week to work with um, our students. We have uh, sort of like communication soft skill classes. We have um, hard skill classes. We have just pure mentorship, college preparation, and career fairs where uh, students can be exposed to you know, a wide variety of different career paths. Like it's not always just um, consulting, engineering, right? There's also, like, as I mentioned, like music, drama, art. Um, and you just kind of help them understand like how you can maximize your chances of success to, based on the path that you find most interesting. And to start thinking about it a little earlier um, and kind of have someone to be your guide as you go through that process. Um, so the role that I actually had, which was volunteer recruitment and engagement, that was like, how do we bring in the best uh, volunteers to help this program thrive? And a lot of that was about like how we can have a diverse slate of volunteers right across different professional industries, across different income ranges, across different demographics, um, so that our students had access to the best resources. Um, and then the engagement piece was how do we retain um, our instructors and mentors that we we cared about the most. Yeah, so interesting. Wow. And uh, moving on and talking a little bit more about your current position, right? So you you're working as a project manager at Google, right? So can you share more about like how is it working at Google? Is it like the you know there's like movies like I think it's the internship where there's like the the two interns that go and like they see all that like quirky and smart people like having fun and working at the same time like how is it can you can you expand a little more yeah yeah so i'm a yeah product manager at google and um i have to say the internship does kind of do a good job capturing a lot of the, <laughs> uh unique unique aspects of working at google okay. it is a um it is an extremely fun place to work i think they uh google has invested a ton in making sure that it inspires this campus and innovative and welcoming environment. So um, like we recently just returned to office from, you know, working at home in the pandemic. And I just like, it was so refreshing for me to actually return to the office. Cause like, it's, it's just so welcoming, like really friendly colors, um, really collaborative, right. There's like, um, really well thought out spaces for people to have a lot of uh, brainstorming and ideation sessions. Um, that's really exciting. I think, um, you know, a lot of the, 
a lot of the perks that the movie covers are are true. I mean, they are like at the end of the day, really fun to have like the the free food, right? That's everywhere. Um, different like little kitchens around that you can pick up snacks from, and like different restaurants on campus that you can um, like depending on what you're feeling like that day, you can go to. Um, yeah, the work life balance is great. Uh, so yeah, it's just a really fun place to work. I think um, I continually am super impressed by the people I work with. Like they talk a lot about like imposter syndrome at Google and I definitely suffer from that because every time I go to a meeting and like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting next to someone who's like, um, like famous in their industry right. and was also like an Olympian. And I'm like, wow, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, but it's, it's just such a great experience to be able to learn from people who are the best at what they do. Yeah. Uh, and like it, it really is something I appreciate because you pick up so many skills from from them. Oh, that's that's so cool. I want you to contrast a little, like the difference, because I'm assuming there's a very big difference between a company like Google that is more like innovative and like has this, you know, the people know part of the culture that Google has compared to a more like traditional like management consulting firm. Um, mm-hmm. that you also worked at. So how would you like compare the two cultures? Um, and how did you feel when you were working there compared to how you feel now about your job? Yeah. Um, so I think there are, there are differences among ven- uh, among many different factors, right? Um, the cultural differences can stem from like how the business model is. So in consulting, right, it's about billable hours uh, it's about like presenting really thoughtful ideas. It's about managing client relationships. So the element of like very solid, crisp presentation and presentability of not just your content that you build, but like yourself right. um, is, is really highly uh, scrutinized. Like you need to be seen as hardworking you need to be seen as really client friendly. You need to be seen as like driving a lot of billable hours. And that creates a culture of like, you know, working the extra hours, uh, going the extra mile um, and doing like whatever it takes, no matter how menial you may find a task or um, like how annoying finding some statistics might be. Right. Um, <laughs> all those PowerPoints and, and Excel, all yeah, the PowerPoints yeah, exactly. presentation and Excels you have to do. <laughs> I see. Yeah, which is like, and frankly, like management consulting is like that, like the level of detail and like how refined a presentation needs to be is a great skill set to build. Um, the communication skills are like will be transferable to anything you do in life. So it's it's really valuable. Um, however, uh, what's what was missing for me for management consulting is like you do some really awesome problem solving, but you never kind of see if the problem was solved right yeah like you you give the solution and then you kind of move on Um, right i think what's different at google is like your work is much more accountable like your impact is much more accountable to you so as a product manager like you're owning a certain product or a certain part of a product and the measurable improvements on that product. So like your, the number of users, the churn that you might have, the engagement that you might have, all of those are measured in very detailed fashion. And 
you are responsible for moving those numbers, right? So it's like when you come up with your strategy and your plan, um, that's not the end of it. You have to go and execute. You have to work with 50 different teams of like people from different disciplines, um, whether that's like legal, user research, marketing, whoever, right? Yeah. Um, and like that element of making sure that impact is uh, measured and moving, like the moving, actually moving those numbers is a very different experience from um, consulting. Yeah, makes sense. And also, I think, I mean, in the in the management consulting like industry, like you just there's this sort of like expectation almost that you're gonna do like perfect work, right? Um, and I'm assuming yeah. at Google, probably it's a very different environment, right? I, I would assume it's also like, it, it's maybe like the opposite. People are wanting to make mistakes, wanting to like fail so that you can like experiment and like see what works out and what doesn't, right? And I'm curious to you on a more personal level, what were some of the main mistakes that you made at the beginning of your career? Mm, good question. So I would say like at the beginning of my career, uh, things I would consider as mistakes is like not recognizing what skill sets were going to be the most impactful. Um, you know, coming out of undergrad, you really are pretty unfamiliar with like what a corporate job looks like. Um, I mean, sure, you do some internships and such, but you don't really understand like what can really impact your stakeholders until you've worked, you know, for a couple of years. Right. And I think the skill sets that jumped out to me, um, that were really important for both, um, consulting and Google were a combination of soft, soft skills and hard skills. I think the soft skills were like communication sounds like this very high level, like, Oh, just be a smooth talker and you'll be fine type of thing. <laughs> but it's not like not good really. communication in like written and spoken form is like really detailed and really complicated. Um, and like practicing your intonation, practicing your body language, um, practicing how you can captivate someone who's way more senior than you um, are really tough skills to build. And like something that I felt like I could have started working on earlier. But I, I will say that those softer skills are easier to pick up. The hard skills that I didn't um, kind of see as, as important were like much harder to learn. So having a really good understanding of technology, I think, is important for anyone today, not just people who are interested in the tech industry. Because like, if you think about it, any company in any industry is starting to really emphasize technology as part of their business strategy, right? Like whether that's um, having strong technical infrastructure for the company or having a really killer app or having a really killer website, like those are all um, really key to any business model today. And if you're part of running that business and you don't understand how a website works or how an app works and like you don't recognize that an app or a website crashing for a couple hours could actually be losses of millions and millions of dollars, like it's harder to be a, a strong business operator, right? So I think like having a strong understanding of uh, how technology works, like what happens when you type google.com into a search bar and press enter, like what's happening in the back end. Um, 
like that's one piece of just general knowledge. And then two is like having some fundamental like understanding of like computer science, like whether that's um, how you can query a data database or how like how code actually takes um, instructions and passes it to a computer. You don't have to know how to code, but at least like understand the the concepts behind it, I think are, are helpful. Yeah. Interesting. I actually, I remember learning about some interesting things on, on Google. They have this uh, page rank thing. They still have it, right? Like, yes. Which is like super <laughs> complex. Like, I, I don't know how to describe it, but like a database where you can like rank the different like pages according to uh, some o- sort of algorithm, right? You're probably much better ex- explaining that. But are there also, maybe you can use page rank, but also other, op- other like, examples of like very interesting products or like things that you've seen at Google that just like make you very excited about the future? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like, I definitely can't explain it very well, but (laughs) (laughs) like, uh, like quantum computing is something that Google invests in very strongly. And it is essentially a new way for uh, computers to like understand and process information. Um, that is much more powerful than the current like binary code format. Okay. And, you know, the processing power and the processing speed that quantum computing could unlock is, you know, many orders of magnitude higher than what current computers can do. And that would like, it would change the world probably as much as, you know, computers did in the first place in the, from like 2000 to to now, right? (laughs) That amount of change um, you'll probably see something similar from quantum computing and what it can unlock. So that's really exciting. And I think we'll see that in our lifetimes. Um, can you give maybe like an example of something that could be achieved through quantum computing? Yeah, I think this, uh, this example is probably, (laughs) uh, this is an example of how it can change our current computer infrastructure, right? Like most, most of the, um, like a lot of the encryption methods that are used today um, can't be uh, cracked by sort of computers today uh, based on their current processing power. But it once com- quantum computing has unlocked pretty much like many of the encryption mechanisms that we use today will, will not be sufficient <laughs> against a, a quantum computing device. And, and that just like, will completely change how we think about computer security, right? Um, and a whole new industry could probably spin out of that of like new cybersecurity measures that you can think through. Um, and that's just like a fundamental shift in, in how you would approach that. That's one piece. I think other like quantum computing can do a lot of other things probably related to like healthcare simulations, uh, like self-driving, improving self-driving cars, um, these types of things that will really... Uh, it's just like it, the the possibilities are are limitless with with increased computing power, right? Oh well, that's like very niche and very specific, but I can I can definitely see the the future there. I feel like people are talking about it so much. Like not only like I, I was not familiar with uh, this idea you mentioned, but like other technologies that in a very recent future might change completely the way we maybe interact or the way we see, you know, like machines 
Um, so that's that's very curious. Um, going back to one of the first things that you mentioned, you said that you know growing up in different places actually shaped who you were. You know, just like living in different cultures. So I, I want you to to expand on that idea, like how how did that help you or shape you? How did that shape your life, basically? Yeah, totally. So I think primarily I spent a lot of time in the United States and in China. So, you know, the, the kind of East-West philosophies are, are generally can be boiled down to like an individualistic personality and more of a collectivist uh, personality, right? So in, right. in China, it was like very much... Um, I wouldn't say like frowned upon, but it, it just was less common to be um, focused on individual achievement and like really being a pioneer, right? Being an entrepreneur, like these were things that were probably less emphasized. And then when I lived in the U.S., it's very much about, um, you know, like forging your own path, you know, bootstrapping, like doing what it takes to become successful. Entrepreneurs are are glorified right um and there are a lot of benefits to each mentality right like i think when you have a more collectivist society it you do tend to think about other people a bit more you think about like like what are what are other people's opinions what are their like what's their approach um how can i understand them better to have a more harmonious environment right 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 would um, you say you sort of absorbed part of that thinking into you as well as a person yeah exactly i, I think like you know I, I grew up mostly in the u.s so i still have more of an individualistic mentality but i have right. to say like seeing and experiencing the collectivist mindset really does help me at work today i think um because collaboration is so important at least at google and um you you have to bring your stakeholders along with you uh, on this shared vision of a product in order to be successful. And to bring them along with you means you have to understand what they're thinking, what's important to them, how you can convince them, right? It's not always like, it's not always as simple as my product idea is so awesome. So everybody's going to follow my lead, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be about like, how can I understand what my partner's motivation is like, what does their organization care about? Um, what are their objectives and key results? And like, how can I make sure those align with ours so that they're motivated to actually contribute to this shared common goal? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You mentioned like you're uh, not living that much time in, in China, if any time at all. But uh, like, did your parents grow up in, in China or... So, no, I, I mean, I did spend, like, I probably, so, like, my upbringing was split, like, probably 65% in the U.S. and 35% oh, okay. in Asia. So, so I actually I spent, spent a, a, good a bit of time. Yeah. yeah. I see. Because yeah, I was, I was going to ask you if you think your upbringing, maybe, like, the way your parents sort of uh, fostered you, like, just, you know, if that has had an impact. Because if it was not that much, like, the sort of collectivist uh, mindset from from China, maybe from your parents was that was a an influence. But I was wondering your thoughts about that. Yeah, so my my parents are Taiwanese, 
Um, and, uh, and I was born in Taiwan, um, but I left when I was one, so I don't know it too well. Um, my parents were not, uh, like they spent their upbringing in Taiwan. So it's a bit, it, you know, it, it's definitely different from the experience in China, but, right. but there are a lot of similarities too, right? At the end of the day, they're, they're Asian cultures that, that stem from the same place. So I think to, to answer your question, like, did my parents' culture influence me? Um, absolutely, right? Um, I think my parents were more individualistic than regular folks that come from Chinese cultures. But at the end of the day, they still enforced a lot of those values that I, that I carried with me. I see. Interesting. And how was it for you, like, growing up? Like, did you have goals that you wanted to, like, fulfilling your life already like how was that for you like did you have any sort of like expectations maybe from your parents or was it only you deciding what you wanted to do with your career yeah so my parents um they were definitely uh there they were expectations to achieve x right and x is undefined like they were kind of just like oh you should like you'll do well at whatever you want to do um they didn't have like, they weren't super strict about like, oh, you have to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Um, they, you know, they, they kind of like suggested those professions as like good paths <laughs> to pursue. Right. right. <laughs> um, they always do. <laughs> right. Right. Which, which, it, which they are, they're really good professions. Um, uh, but I didn't like, there wasn't like a, like some specific, career path or life goal that I had growing up. Um, the only thing was that I was, and my parents are too, like super, super hyper competitive. And oftentimes that can be pretty motivating to find like, oh, what's the most competitive industry or like, what's the most competitive roles that like, and then you kind of gravitate towards those because you find it interesting with a competitive nature. I see. And um, you mentioned this sort of com competitive nature what do you think is the impact or maybe like the negative impact of that in your life? Cause I feel like mm -hmm. I, I also think that I, I also consider myself a very competitive person. Right. And I think, uh, for me, I needed some time to be more self-aware of like what being competitive meant for me. Right. Because obviously you can have, you know, different types of competitiveness. Right. So I think I, obviously I, I compared myself to other people, but I don't think that was the main competitiveness for me. It was more about how can I be like a better version of myself. And that was like always having this sort of maximizer nature of like, if I'm doing something, I want to do what's the best possible thing to be done. And I want to do like that, like a hundred percent. I don't want to have anything that is like not the best, not close to the best, you know? And I think the implications to that sometimes are, can be very debilitating in the sense that not everything you have to do to like make the best out of something like, like you don't have to do everything like perfectly. Right. So I think for some, some things in my, in my life, I, I do continue using sort of a yeah, maximizer nature, but for other things such as like maybe like choosing a restaurant, which is like less important to me, 
I'm just gonna go with like a more like satisficer mentality, which would mean like I'm just like, yeah, like whatever. Like my friends can can choose the restaurant, and which was something that I didn't used to do one or two years ago, right? So how 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 does the the competitive nature play a role for you? Yeah, this is a really insightful question. Um, I think being competitive can absolutely destroy your mental health. <laughs> um, and I think I've myself grappled with this. So you mentioned a good point about like, is competition about competing with others? Is it about making the best version of yourself? Right. I think um, it's probably a combo of those things. Right. I think for me, yeah. it's kind of been like, if you're interested in something, you want to do the best you can at it. And if you leave anything on the table, you'll probably look back with some degree of regret of like, oh, I really cared about this thing and I let myself down, right? Like that. So you don't want a situation where you you have that mentality too often, um, where you kind of look back and maybe regret that you didn't put in like the effort that you probably wanted to, right? Um, now that's one piece. I think the other piece yeah. is like, being competitive is like I want to achieve at something challenging, right? Uh, in general, so like, and what's challenging is oftentimes defined by your peers and like society around you. So like, getting into a hard school is challenging. Getting into a good, like, really competitive job market is is um, is challenging. So like, I think that can be a lot of fun to try to pursue those challenges that maybe are really tough to achieve for anybody. However, what comes with pursuing tough challenges is failure. <laughs> and yeah. you can and your ability to kind of handle failure is really important. Um and something that I had trouble learning uh which is like at this point, right? I'm 5 years into working. I've learned that like you will get rejected. Things won't work out sometimes. And like, you got to be able to roll with it, like understand where you went wrong and try to improve next time. When I was earlier in my career, I would just endlessly dwell on it, right? Like it would be something that eats at me all the time. I'd get really upset at myself and it can really hurt your mental health. So it's important to kind of strike a balance. I think Comp like competitiveness can really be a motivator, like a great motivator. And I think with a lot of entrepreneurs and sports stars and folks like that, you see that the competition is what drives them. But I think you just have to be careful not to step over the cliff and have it and, t and let it take you down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's about the balance, right? Finding the right balance of like how competitive you want to be or like if you're too competitive, then finding the right balance not to let that affect you if things don't go your way right yeah and it's not just you right it's also like i think your competitiveness very much impacts the people around you like if you're just annoyingly competitive at everything people yeah. around you probably find you annoying so like just keeping th keeping things <laughs> yes. in perspective <laughs> yes absolutely for sure for sure yeah, yeah well taylor i really enjoyed our conversation i want to before we wrap up i want to ask you if there's anything else that you want to leave our audience with it can be like a message or any anything that comes to mind 
Yeah. So I'm assuming the audience is mostly Emory students, college students. Yes, correct. Got it. Okay. So, you know, I would say that, like, something that I wish somebody had told me, or somebody didn't tell me this, um, which is, like, if you want something, like, if you want to pursue uh, a certain community impact initiative or career success or some like or you know improving your relationships with people who you care about like it really is just about like perseverance like most things do work out if you just keep trying at it um i find that like i think i'll just give a quick anecdote like when i applied to google i applied to six different roles at google and they only interviewed me for one i could have very easily like after you know the rejections come in faster than the the um like them wanting like them letting you know they want to interview you right <laughs> right <laughs> and uh so like i could have just been like ah uh, you know after the first few rejections been like ah, I don't, you know like i won't pursue it anymore but um right. you know but like i made sure to like kind of just keep pushing the envelope and seeing if i could get an opportunity eventually they gave me one um and it turned out really well so like don't get discouraged too quickly i guess <laughs> that's a great inspiring message uh to have well, Taylor, uh, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening until the end. If you enjoyed the show, I would really appreciate it if you could share with anyone you think would enjoy it.